Hello and welcome. Welcome to Free America. Today is January 23rd. The year is 2022. And this is episode number 78. Our guest today is uh, Deputy District Attorney John Barrick. And I am your host, Nick Yaya. And this is the Free America podcast. So as mentioned today, we are going to bring on a Deputy District Attorney who's uh, very, very keen on helping to repair the damage that's been done here in the state of California over the last several years with a lot of laws that are being passed, which have been pro-crime and anti-victim, seemingly, is what is going on here. They're letting a lot of people out of prison. They're not prosecuting crimes uh, the same way they used to. They've gotten rid of these enhancements for you know gangs and guns and all sorts of things. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that and what John is going to be doing to remedy that situation once he becomes uh, hopefully district attorney of the County of Ventura here in the upcoming election. So uh, before we get to him, of course, we do like to cover a little bit of news as always. And, and today will be no different. And so uh, please bear with me while I bring that up. And, and in the, um, in the interim, before we uh, go to the news, of course, always like to encourage you to visit the Free America podcast website where you can find this episode as well as others and ways that you can uh, download the audio version of this podcast to take it with you on the go. And of course, share it with other people, share it with your friends and family, because we need, excuse me, to get this information out there to as many people as possible. We also have alternative sites where you can view this uh, podcast as well as uh, social media sites where you can find us and converse with us and send us a message. So, and of course, there's all the uh, previous episodes and special reports, as you can see there. Okay, so moving on to uh, today's news, as we always like to start off with a little bit of good news out of England, out of the UK. Face mask rules and COVID passes are ending in England. So this is uh, this is good news. Now, I'm a bit, I'm a little bit skeptical about this. I'm not sure exactly why they're ending it right now. Um, this is little bit strange, but uh, still should be celebrated nonetheless. But uh, Boris Johnson, uh, the man who looks as if he combs his hair with a brick, has announced that uh, they are going to stop the 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 mandates for uh, for masks as well as for vaccine passports, uh, which is a huge win for people uh, such as ourselves who have been against these things for a very long time. So good news there. Um, moving on, there's, um, there is a, a doctor, an NHS, this is the National Health Service, this is also in, in England, a doctor tells a patient not to take the COVID vaccine because they will be pulled soon and warns that vaccine data is being hidden from the public. Well, we all know that. We do know that the VAERS reporting system, as well as the European reporting system that is similar to VAERS, has been reporting tens of thousands of deaths, as well as millions of injuries from uh, from these vaccines. And so it seems as if the truth is catching up with the criminals and sooner rather than later, uh, we hopefully will have a victory here in terms of these vaccines being pulled and these people hopefully being prosecuted for their crimes against humanity for mass murder, genocide and other crimes. Um, Anyhow, back here in the United States, Starbucks has decided to nix its COVID vaccine requirement after the Supreme Court struck down Biden's OSHA mandate, which is the Occupational Safety Health Administration here in the U.S. They, they determine uh, what is a safe working environment for people. And 
uh, this is this is great news. This is a major corporation with many outlets, and they have decided not to force their employees to take this experimental drug as a condition of employment, which we applaud them for. So good news there. Okay. Um, today in Washington, D.C., there was a major rally with the likes of people like a John F. Kennedy Jr., uh, as well as, um, as Drs. Peter McCullough, and Dr. Robert Malone, some of the people that we've, uh, excuse me, not John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., pardon me, for, uh, folks, uh, RFK Jr., Dr. Robert Malone, and Peter McCullough, which are people that we've uh, discussed and shown you on this show before. And it, in attendance were about 20,000 people. Uh, I don't have any photos right here, but uh, there are photos showing the, the, the National Mall in front of the uh, Lincoln Memorial with the, um, you know, the... Uh, uh, anyhow, with the you know the National Mall in the background, and uh, there were roughly about twenty thousand people in attendance, so a big turnout for the United States, which is uh, you know traditionally over the last couple of years had very little um, showing of of people coming out to these uh, these protests, these rallies, and things like that. So it's it's exciting to see that people are finally starting to wake up here in the United States and to stand up against these, uh, these illegal mandates and these illegal vaccine orders. So, uh, over across the pond in Belgium, uh, Brussels specifically, there were about 50,000 demonstrators out, uh, and, uh, clashing with police. Apparently, uh, police were using water cannons, pepper spray, and batons against the demonstrators there. And so things are getting really dicey over in Europe. And as you might recall, uh, Belgium just passed a law for mandatory vaccination. And so the people there are really fed up with this stuff. I mean, mandatory, as in like compulsory, as in they will hold you down and jab you. Um, and so people are fed up with this stuff. They're standing up and it looks like uh, the state is fighting back, but, um, who knows how long that will last because they are definitely outnumbered uh, being the state is definitely outnumbered and that the people uh, may uh, overwhelm them at some point. So uh, this is a battle. This is a war, as we've said before, folks, this is a war for the future of humanity and this is no different. Um, okay. Uh, so moving on here, a, uh, this is a story we covered a couple of weeks ago. There was a, a, an insurance company out of the Midwest that showed that there was a 40% uptick in the number of um, deaths in people aged 18 to 49. Well, in this Epoch Times article, it goes into a state-by-state -state breakdown, and, and some states uh, have seen as high as a 65% increase in mortality. Uh, with only 36% that being as 36% of that being attributed to COVID-19. So um, these are these are all cause deaths. These are heart attacks, strokes, um, you name it. But many of these things uh, suggest that they are being brought on as a result of taking these vaccines. They are diminishing people's immune systems. They are causing blood clots. They are causing uh, heart attacks, pericarditis, myocarditis, all kinds of health maladies. And now we're seeing the effect of that. So um, correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation, but um, it is definitely a strong indicator here because uh, this massive type of increase, this, this, this isn't even seen. They said this is not even a 200-year um, uh, uh, event, all right? This is unprecedented 
uh, that kind of increase it comes about, you know, like something like during the, the Black Plague, right? The bubonic plague. Uh, this is absolutely astounding. So I'm going to leave this here for you to, to read and, and to see, uh, check your state and see where you're at. Um, it does list most of the states here. Scary stuff there, folks. Okay. Um, boy, out of New York, I can't believe what's going on there. So crime is going through the roof in New York, yet they find time to arrest an unvaccinated child during an anti-mandate protest in New York City. So this was at the uh, Natural History Museum and in Manhattan. And look at this. Here's, here's LAPD uh, leading a small child into custody for not showing a vaccine passport. Gee, bravo, NYPD. Uh, your city is burning and you are arresting children for not taking an experimental drug. Shame on you. Shame on every single one of you. This is un unacceptable. Okay, now for a quick lesson, as we always like to do, a quick lesson in propaganda, um, in, in how to spot propaganda in your local news or your, your newspaper or your, your, um, your news programs. Here's something out of The Guardian, right? So the headline reads, nocebo effect, two-thirds of COVID jab reactions not caused by vaccines, study suggests. Okay, so reading that headline, you would think, wow, uh, uh, so two-thirds of these, uh, you know, maladies that are being caused by the vaccine, you know, the heart attacks, the strokes, the blood clots, um, those are all in, in people's minds. That's not real. It's called, instead of placebo, they call it nocebo. So it says here, more than two-thirds of the common side effects people experience after COVID jab can be attributed to a negative version of the placebo effect rather than the vaccine itself. But if you read the article rather than just the headline, you find out that they're talking about things like, uh, it, you know, pain at the site of injection or, or, or swelling or um, redness or anything like that. <laughs> they're not talking about any of these other, right here it says, the, the study did not look at severe rare side effects, rare, uh -huh, really, side effects such as blood clots and heart inflammation. Gee whiz, wow, I wonder why the study didn't look at that. Oh boy, okay, and then... Um, in international news, this is very good news. Uh, finally, someone is taking these criminals to the International Criminal Court, uh, and and hopefully they will be be uh, brought to justice. Finally, people were talking about like Bill Gates, Anthony Fauci, Peter Daszak, people who have been involved in this thing from the beginning of the development of the virus, as well as uh, the the development and distribution of these deadly vaccines, is what we're seeing. So. Um, seven applicants, uh, one of which is a uh, Reiner Fulmich, who we've been talking about here on the show for actually quite some time, has filed a criminal complaint against 16 defendants who have violated the Nuremberg Code, as well as many articles of the Rome Statute, which is an international treaty that's been signed and ratified by over 120 different countries. Um, the people included, as I mentioned, Fauci, Daszak, Gates, Melinda Gates, the CEOs of Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, J&J, &J, as well as the uh, Director General of the, of the World Health Organization, Tedros um, Adnam Ghebreyesus, Boris Johnson, um, as well as many, many other people, uh, including Klaus Schwab, one of our favorite uh, Bond villain stunt doubles, as I like to refer to him. 
So uh, I'll leave this here for you to view. And they do have a copy of the complaint. And hopefully uh, we'll see we'll see people mimic this complaint in their own in their own countries, in their own states, in their own cities and counties, and bring these people to justice for the damage and the destruction that they've caused. Okay, now here back in the state of California, news out of the Capitol, preteens can get vaxxed without, without parent under California bill. Now, this is a bill being proposed by a man named... Um, a uh, uh, not Scott, yeah, Scott Weiner. All right, we've talked about Scott Weiner on this show before. Uh, actually, I wrote an article. I'll show you here real quick. Uh, back in September of uh, 2020, and his his SB 145 was passed here in the state of California, which essentially gave uh, the green light for um, pedophiles to have sex with underage children and not be held and not be held accountable for it, not be held liable for it. Uh, it's up to the judge's discretion whether or not they should register as a sex offender. And the, they, 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 the window of um, inclusion is uh, 10 years. So uh, a, a, a 24-year-old man could have sex with a 14-year-old boy. And this is for the, the homosexual version. In fact, there was a heterosexual version of this law already passed. So rather than amend it back the wrong, the right way to get rid of it, they amended it the wrong way to include actually now homosexual acts as well. So uh, uh, this is the same guy, uh, uh, this same man who who is, is attacking your children in, in terms of um, allowing pedophiles to have their way with them. Now, he wants this other bill to allow uh, these these medical monsters to jab your kids without your consent. This man is a is a piece of work, a typical Democrat, just dog. Uh, he's out of San Francisco, and he's just he's just an awful, awful human being. And I bring this to your attention because this is just another thing that our our state legislature and our governor are pushing through that are harming the people of California. Um, Gavin Newsom, uh, he's ripped by a, a California DA. That says he's either ignorant or he's a liar. And he faced uh, sharp criticism Wednesday after appearing to accuse police and prosecutors of not holding criminals to account. Well, imagine that. Um, State Proposition 47, which downgraded felonies to misdemeanors. Proposition 57, which reduced prison sentences. And Assembly Bill 109, which shifted detainees from state prisons to local jails because of COVID, right? Okay, so uh, that's what we're dealing with here. And that's what our guest today is dealing with and who and 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 he is trying to uh, reverse a lot of this damage and and John has been a, a deputy district attorney in the county of Ventura for quite some time now and he's done he's done phenomenal work and now he's running for uh, the main the main job the uh, district attorney of the of the county of Ventura so uh, without further ado please join us in welcoming our guest today John Barrett hi John. Welcome to Hi, the Nick, show. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much, and 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 I appreciate you uh, taking the time to to visit our show and and share with us what you're what you're doing out there, and um, really appreciate your work and 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 what you're proposing for uh, for your community, and hopefully um, other other district attorneys will take note here in the state of California. So thank you. Yeah. Well, that's the hope. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of 
there's been a lot of damage done uh, by the California state legislature over the last 10 or 11 years in the area of criminal justice. And um, despite the outcry of citizens who are starting to realize that as they open their doors, things just feel worse and they just feel less safe. Um, in running for office, I've been fortunate to meet a number of people in communities around my county and people are terrified. And it, you know, it's not because of COVID or anything like that. It's because they're afraid of crime. They all see how crime is rampant and they feel completely helpless and they have no idea how it got to be this way. And so one of the reasons I decided to run for district attorney is because I felt there was a real lack of leadership in, uh, from people in my field uh, to alert citizens of some of the legislation that was being passed by our illustrious uh, political leaders um, that negatively affected crime victims and their rights. And, you know, I'll tell you, uh, as a prosecutor, and I've been a prosecutor now for uh, over 17 years, um, I wouldn't find out about some of these laws until I would get the obligatory email at the end of the year notifying each prosecutor, here's the new law that you have to take into account January 1st. And I would be stunned by some of these laws, first of all. And then second, I would be stunned by the fact that I didn't know about them. I'm a prosecutor, and I didn't even know these these were even being considered by the legislature. Yeah, so, how are they, how uh, that are they doing that? That was one of the main reasons why I decided to run for district attorney. Yeah, so how are they doing that? How are they sneaking these laws in, into, into existence without the, the public knowing it and without professionals such as yourself being aware of them? Uh the way, you know, I mean, everything is open, you know, it is available, but the problem is nobody reports on it. You know, it's not in the newspaper. Um, you know, a lot of prosecutors, I mean, you know, to be fair, uh, we are so concerned with prosecuting the cases that we have, yeah. that it's hard for us to keep track of what's going on in Sacramento. But there are people in the, in the, in the, who are supposed to be in the law enforcement field who are supposed to track these things and are supposed to alert us to what's going on so we can mount um, a resistance. But one of the problems here uh, is, especially here in California, is we have, you know, the Democratic Party, which is so uh, heavily, um, the numbers are so heavily in favor of them that there, there's no real debate. Like a law will come up, there'll be a little bit debate. There might be a victim advocacy group or two that finds out about the law and, and tries to stop it from passing. But they're basically ignored. Um, law enforcement personnel who do find out about these laws and do try to do uh something to stop them from passing. They're ignored too. They're, they're completely shunned. Um, in fact, a lot of the criminal justice laws that are being written now are being written by um, anti-victim pro-criminal uh, action groups and law enforcement personnel, victim advocacy groups. We're, we're not even, we're not even um, asked anymore to get our input on the law before it even reaches uh, the assembly or the Senate for a discussion. They don't even ask us anymore because they don't I, have I, to. I find it's, that, it's just, you know, I, it uh, is, you know, Go ahead. I, you know, I didn't start off my, my uh, prosecutorial career wanting to be the district attorney. Uh, I have a pretty great assignment right now. I've been prosecuting homicides for over seven years. I've had a pretty great career. I completely love my job. There are no words or phrases in the English language to tell you uh, how much I love my job. Uh, but the thing I love about it the most is serving the public. Like I do consider myself a true public servant and seeing what was happening in this state 
um, really, I guess, uh, made me want to act, you know? So like I said, I, I had no political um, uh, ambitions whatsoever. Um, but, you know, I'm sitting at my desk, I care about my job and I care about the people of my county, the people of this state, and I see what's going on. And I don't see people doing anything to really stop it. And, and so I decided, well, I guess it's going to be me. Yeah. You want to be of service to your community and you, you don't see anybody else stepping up to the plate to take action against uh, these things that are harming the community. It's, it's only natural for someone to want to do that. So, uh, you know, kudos to you and applause to you for doing that and taking that, taking on that mantle. That's uh, is quite a responsibility. Um, but you are definitely fighting an uphill battle in, you know, in a, in a, in a largely democratic run state, uh, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a one party system where there, there's no opposition. And I find it, I find it just, it's just, to me, it seems almost uh, not, not inhumane. I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but the fact that they, that they are pro crime, anti victim, it, it seems like a total inversion of reality. Um, <laughs> what, what happened to our state? I mean, it wasn't always this way, right? No, no, it wasn't. So um, when you study the criminal, the history of criminal justice in the United States, um, you always see a pendulum that swings. Um, it swings and often it swings from one side to the other. Uh -huh. And, you know, in this country, we've always had a debate about um, punishment in criminal justice. Should it be should it be punishment or should it be re about rehabilitation? We've always we've always had these debates. Um, in the 70s, uh, we had a lot of laws that were what I would consider pro-criminal, anti-victim, and people got tired of that. So in the 80s and 90s, we started to enact a number of statutes that were um, very heavy-handed, heavy um, perhaps in criminal prosecution. And then there were like the advocacy groups. What's that? Like the three strikes law? Right. Like, yeah, that's a great example. Like the three strikes law. Um in 1988 and, and then again in 2000, we passed a series of laws to help combat um, the rising tide of gang violence, which yeah. was getting out of control. And we just didn't have the laws to deal with it. So we passed a series of laws to to fight gang violence and they they were very effective. Yeah. And then um, in, in the early 2000s, the pendulum started to swing a little bit back towards the left. And so it, it kind of started uh, in 2011. So we had a, a prison uh, overpopulation crisis in California. Um, as a prosecutor, I can, I can admit to you that I think we got a little incarceration happy. And uh, our prison population was 143,000. We had a lot of prisons that were double occupancy. Like they just, they were meant to house like, you know, 50,000 uh, or, you know, 10,000 inmates and they were housing 20. And so we had a real problem. And so the, actually the United States Supreme Court told the state of California, yeah, you've got to reduce that number from 143,000 to 110,000. You got two years to do it. And so that's, wow. that's where, like I said, the pendulum had started to swing in the early 2000s. And that's really uh, in my research where I discovered that the criminal justice reform and what has happened since really took off um, because that started this this tidal wave of pro-criminal anti-victim legislation that continues to this day. And I, a lot of it, I think, has passed 
um, either by misrepresenting what the statutes or the legislation does, or just by completely ignoring those who are sworn to protect crime victims and stand up and protect the community. Right. And so that's, that's sort of how this all started. Yeah. Wow. That's, and, and now it's, it's even gaining more momentum because of, uh, you know, public sentiment towards heavy handed law enforcement, you know, as, as, as they say with uh, what happened with the George Floyd incident, right. Um, which I believe was, this is my opinion. I, I believe that it was blown way out of proportion that they, they um, failed to recognize that, that his death was due in part to his own actions, which were consuming large amounts of, of, uh, of uh, fentanyl, which caused his heart to stop. And, and, but then it was, but it was blamed on law enforcement. And then this whole thing went nationwide. Now, all of a sudden, the cops are the bad guys. The criminals are the good guys. I mean, they're venerating this man as if he's a saint and they're, and they're, and they're criminalizing cops for doing their jobs. And so that coupled together with, with uh, uh, district attorneys being put in, into place by, uh, by the likes of George Soros, you've got uh, uh, Los Angeles's DA, George Gascon, who has just decided we're not going to prosecute a lot of crimes. We're not going to prosecute prostitution. We're not going to prosecute resisting arrest. And, and so it's emboldened these criminals, uh, as has the, the, uh, the raising of uh, the retail theft level to $950 is now considered uh, the limit. It used to be $500, I believe, was a felony in terms of um, $400 property. $400. Yes. Okay. So it's more than doubled. And, and, and that's just emboldened the criminals. That's exactly, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. So, you know, the George Floyd murder um, certainly started a wave of, of, of police reform. And, you know, I, I do believe some of that reform was necessary, but I've, I've actually spoken to police officers, which I think a lot of people haven't. And, you know, police officers are public servants as well, and they really love their community and want to keep it safe. And in speaking to the numerous police officers I have spoken to, they are all on board for whatever reforms the community wants. They have told me, like, you know, we want bad cops prosecuted because they make the rest of us look bad. Sure. The community wants reform. We will do whatever the community wants us to do. You just have to tell us what it is and train us. And so one of the things that frustrated me, of course, was the defund the police movement. Uh, yeah. This idea that uh, if we defunded police or drastically reduced funding to police, we could use that yet then use those funds to for more social justice programs. And that's just not the real world, you know, and that's that communicates a, a lack of support to police officers. Uh, one of the one of the things I do run on my platform is uh, that I'm very that I am pro law enforcement. Um, you know, I'm pro victim. Victims come first. That's actually uh, not just a slogan that I use in my campaign, but that's actually a rule that I developed for myself very early on in my career. And I'll, I can explain that more in a moment. But, you know, victims come first. If a police officer does something where he illegal, where he creates a crime victim, I will prosecute that police officer. But we can't isolate our police officers. We can't treat them like they're the criminals and the criminals are the victims. That's not how it works. Not not in the real world. And so, again, that was another reason why I decided to get involved and run for district attorney, because with the wave 
of hatred that developed for police officers. I actually saw local politicians jumping on the bandwagon who'd get up there in city council meetings and uh, proclaim their dislike and distrust of police and calling them racist. You know, and I, I deal with a lot of police officers in this county and, and other counties. And um, I just I just don't find it to be true. Um, yeah. You know, I, people want to say that uh, racism is systemic in, in law enforcement and it just isn't. No, I'm, I'm not saying there aren't racist cops. All right. I'm right. not saying that. Sure. But to say that it's systemic and that the system um, supports racist policies, uh, I, I disagree with. And so if people want change with their law enforcement, great, but you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to help them. You know, we have to, we have to work together and that just doesn't happen. It's much easier to stand up and much cooler, uh, for some people to just stand up in public and, and demonize police officers and support criminals. And I, that just drove me crazy as someone who's dedicated, you know, his professional career to public service and to really fighting for crime victims. I, I found that offensive. Well, yeah, you're right. It absolutely is offensive. It's insulting to these these men and women who put their lives on the line literally every day to defend our communities against criminals. And then all of a sudden that they're being told that, that they're the enemy, that they're racist, that uh, that they should be defunded. And in some cases, they were defunded. And we saw, for example, in New York, they they pulled, it was a 500-man uh, squad of, of, of plainclothes officers that uh, were, uh, they would patrol the subways and things like that. And as soon as they did, there was more than 100% increase in the number of murders there in Manhattan. Yeah, it's funny and, how that works. You, you, you have less police and crime goes up. Right. And you would think the public would would, you know, get it. But for some reason, it seems as if they're 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 hypnotized by the mainstream media or by some of these politicians and and the way that they present the information. Uh, It's it's just it's baffling to me that while people are being literally victimized by criminals, that they want the criminals to be set free. Right. So I actually believe that the majority and a large majority of people, uh, not just in my county, but in the state of California, actually do support crime victims and they do support law enforcement. But what's happening is anyone, I, I think that people were afraid to stand up and say these things because if they stand up and said, you know, uh, I'm pro-victim, I'm pro-law enforcement, they would be called racist. And nobody, nobody wants to be called a racist. Nobody wants to have that shouted back at back at sure. them. So people, people were afraid. And yeah. politicians, not all of them, but a lot of politicians, um, you know, aren't really uh, public servants. They're self servants, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that joke? Uh, when a politician gets into office, uh, what's their first priority? Getting reelected, right? And so a politician. What I'm finding, uh, even in local politics. Um, which is, you know, all of this whole political field is so new to me, is that a lot of politicians aren't really, they don't have agendas of doing what is right necessarily. They have agendas of doing what is right for them. And, you know, if being pro-law enforcement and pro-crime victim is going to help them get elected, that's what they are. If being anti-law enforcement and anti-victim and pro-criminal is going to help them get, to, get them elected, that's what they're going to be too. And I, I had, I had a real problem with that. Uh, I'll actually tell you a story if you don't mind. Sure. So when I made the decision to run, 
I had a very simple pro, uh, uh, platform. Number one, I was going to fight for crime victims and their rights. Number two, I was going to stand up for law enforcement. And I had a, uh, a retired law enforcement official come to my house. And he's a person I, I respect a great deal, actually. Um, and uh, he came to my house uh, to talk to me about my candidacy, um, just kind of see where I was. And he asked me, you know, what's, uh, what's your platform? So I told him. And he looked at me, just kind of gave me this look. And he goes, um, you're not going to win. You're not going to win with that. And mind you, this was this was the end of 2020. He goes, you're not going to win yeah. with that wow. pl okay. platform. You got to change it. And I said, look, if I'm going to do this, I have to do it my way. And I have to do it on a platform that I believe. And I said, you know, in the end, you know, you may be right. I may not win. But I'm not going to just go out and tell people what they want to hear so I can win. I, I'm not interested in being a politician. I'm not interested in being a self-servant. I, I really want to represent the people of my community and, and the victims who've, uh, who've been hurt by criminals. And uh, I want to support law enforcement because I think you have to support these things in order to keep your community safe. And so I told him, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it my way. And this is what I believe. Yeah. So that was 2020. Well, where are we now? You know, January of 2022, things are changing, right? Um, we're starting to see citizens who um, who are upset about where things are and they're tired of crime and they're tired of these things. So now my platform is starting to become what people want. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show that if more political leaders did what they believed instead of whatever the you know, the trend is at the moment, things might be better. You know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying because my platform now aligns with what the public wants, I'm going to win this race, but I tell you, I'm a lot more confident. And, you know, I always tell people, look, my platform, I won't tell you what you want to hear, but I'll tell you what you need to hear. Sure. And if, and in the end, if, if the, the people of Ventura County decide, you know, we don't want a prosecutor who fights for crime victims and stands up for law enforcement, that's fine. Um, and I've told and I've talked to groups who are not in favor of my platform, well, we'll say. And I've looked at them and I and I just told them, I, I totally understand and I respect your position. You're going to have to vote for somebody else. I'm not your mm. guy. I'm not out there chasing votes. This is right. what I believe. You know, uh, I love my job. I care about my community. I've dedicated myself to this profession and I'm not going to throw it all away. And I'm not going to sell it out just to get a few votes so I can win a political position. And right. I, I, I really try to communicate that with people. And it's really the message is really starting to go out there now. And I and I and I wish um, I wish there were more political leaders out there who did that, who did what they believed was right instead of what they thought would get them elected. Well, perhaps, you know, perhaps you can lead the way in that in in showing that values and integrity uh, are are high on the list. Uh, they are they are to me. Me personally, uh, you know, in my personal life, uh, you know, I, I value honor, integrity, honesty, right? These these things, you know, uh, nothing. If you want to make me angry, call me a liar. There, there, there's nothing right. that makes me matter because I hold myself to a very high standard. And, and I think and, there are a lot of people who are like you, Nick. I really do. They're just they're just afraid. You're right. You're right. And we've been bullied. We've been pushed around by these 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 folks. And. And it seems the ones that have the loudest voice are, you know, are the mainstream media, and they tend to lean towards, you know, the, the left towards the other side. And there's not really a counter argument 
that's that's presented and and when a counter argument is presented it's shouted down it's it's censored right it's um you know people people you know people um you know they 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 get banned from social media and certain things have you had that happen have you had any issues on on social media at all yet not on social media you know um uh, my social media platform is actually really terrific. I've got a very large following now. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, uh, all, all, you know, the social media platforms. Um, you know, where uh, I've never, like I, I think I said earlier, I'm not one for conspiracy theories. And um, having not been involved, involved in politics, I know there's a lot of talk about the, uh, the left-leaning media bias, and I, I never really considered that because, you know, I, I love my country and I believe in a free press. And I really believe that our our newspaper and our news are out there giving both sides of the story um, so people can make up their own mind. I mean, that's sort of the American way. That's a democracy. But I, ha I have to tell you, Nick, um, I have experienced in my in my run for office some bias. There are uh, a couple of local pu publications that refuse to mention that I'm a candidate for this office. Now, I understand there's only two of us in this election, me and my opponent, and there are two local publications. One has only mentioned me twice, and those were in articles that were talking about other candidates for other offices uh, in the county, and the other one has never mentioned me. And, and uh, you know, and I've actually had friends write in letters to the editor to one of the publications talking about me and how they support me and they they will not publish those letters in fact uh, a, a good friend of mine was just sharing his his frustration with me the other day he said you know i've i've sent this letter in twice and they won't publish it and it, it's frustrating them and i just told them keep doing it i mean they can't ignore me forever i mean especially with the momentum i'm gaining yeah yeah really uh and that seems odd to me you know, they, they, you're right. You know, news news media is supposed to be unbiased. It's supposed to present the information. But it seems some today or the in these days, it's it's everything is so um, it's so polarized and and so highly political that it's yeah, I, you know. And I I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with news agencies being biased. But just present both sides and let the people make up their own minds. And yeah. I'm I. I am not seeing that in a couple of yeah. publications and I actually caught me by surprise. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm, you know, my lack of experience in politics and the inner workings and some of the, you know, for lack of a better phrase, sleaziness, I, I was actually surprised that uh, this would happen. Does, does the LA County, uh, does the, excuse me, the LA Times still do a Ventura County edition? I know they did uh, when I lived there a while back. Is that yeah, I believe they do. Uh, I don't know if they involve themselves in local politics. So, uh -huh. um, so there's the Ventura County Star, I think, is the yeah, one. Yeah, it's it's just called the Star now. Yes. The Star. Okay, yes. but you but you've got a, a good deal of articles in in the Conejo Valley uh, Guardian, correct? Yes, uh, I have. Uh, I just submitted my ten, uh, my ninth uh, article uh, to the Conejo. Uh, Conejo Guardian, and then they get republished in another local pu uh, publication called the Citizens Journal. Yeah, these are these are some uh, these are some uh, some great articles. Uh, I want to I want to kind of bring one up here if you don't mind. Sure. Um, yeah, let's let's pull one up here and share it with the we share it with the audience. So um, the, the one the let's see this is um, mm, this was my first one. This is in June 2021. Right. And no gun control for criminals. So tell us what this is about. 
Yeah, and so let me detail first how I got involved in writing these articles. So one of the things I I ran about, uh, I run about uh, in my campaign, and I complain about um, was the fact, like I mentioned earlier, that these laws were being passed and people didn't know about it, and it frustrated me. And you know, as district attorney, I will make it a point to alert the public about these laws and what they can do to stop them. And so there was uh, one of the publishers of the Conejo uh, Guardian, uh, a terrific lady named Amy Chen, came up to me after one of my speaking games and she, engagements. And she said, you know, I'm a publisher, one of the publishers for the uh, Conejo Guardian. And, you know, you talk about wanting to reach reach out. Would you mind writing some articles about some of these um, some of this legislation that you're finding out about? And I said, sure, that would be great. So I started submitting uh, monthly articles and now I have a, a monthly column in the Canal Guardian. So that article was about um, Senate Bill 1509. And uh, going back a little bit, trying to explain it. Um, in California, we have uh, a provision called uh, the 1020 Life Provision as it relates to guns, the use of guns during certain violent uh, criminal acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, an enhancement is where if you do something extra to com- commit the underlying crime, you will have an enhancement added because we want to hold people responsible for everything they did. For So, for example, if you commit a robbery, that's a crime by itself. But if you use a knife, get a, you get a, a weapon enhancement. If you use a gun, you get a gun enhancement. And so the way the 1020 life provision worked was if you use a gun during certain enumerated felonies, all of them violent, uh, you'll get an extra 10 years in prison if you go to prison because sometimes you could get probation. If you shoot the gun, wait, wait sorry, you, you can get probation for for that kind of crime. Um, you can. Uh, at the time, it was actually um, it was actually almost mandatory that you would go to prison uh, unless the judge made a, a finding in the interest of justice that prison was not appropriate. I can tell you that I never saw anyone get probation with that kind of enhancement on, but it, it was possible. Okay, sorry. Continue. I felt I need to mention that just to be fair. Yeah. If you shoot the gun you get an extra 20 years. Wow. If you shoot the gun and it causes either great bodily injury or death upon a human being, you will get an extra 25 years to life in prison. Okay. Seems reasonable. And understand um, in California, we have some of the most restringent, restrictive gun laws in the, in the country. Yeah. And they're passing new ones every single year. So in this article, I actually detailed some of the ones that had just been passed uh, in 2020 that took effect, or 2019 that took effect in 2020. And so, and uh, actually the National Institute of Justice just issued a study that said, that pointed out that the vast majority of gun crime committed in this country was th- committed by people who uh, illegally acquired firearms, right? right? So not right. even people who are licensed and not people who should have firearms. Right. And so California has had a real impact on on the ability to people own and possess their guns. They really restrict it. So here comes Senate Bill 1509. And what this does, or would have done, it ultimately failed, but it failed because it was another, uh, there was another act uh, act of legislation that passed. But what, what it was going to do was instead of getting 1020 life on those crimes that I just talked about, you would get, if you use the gun, you'd get an extra one year. If you shot the gun, you'd get an extra two years. And then if you 
if you cause great bodily injury or death, you'd get an extra three years added on to your sentence. And That's so it? I just, yeah. So I thought so we have a state where <sighs> it's constantly trying to restrict people's ability to uh, legally own firearms. Right. Yet if a criminal uses a gun during a violent felony, they're going to get a break. And I, I saw this law and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And it actually, it passed through the Senate. Uh, I think it, I think it passed through the assembly and it was supposed to, the, uh, the Senate was going to uh, consider it for its final, final passing. It didn't pass, but I just thought, how did it even get that far? Like how, who in their right mind can write this law and then brag about it? And I think the person who wrote it actually bragged, look what I'm doing for, look what I'm doing for the community. I thought you, you've got to be kidding me. And so I never really followed on my own the various uh, Senate bills and assembly bills that were being considered. Um, but I started really digging into it and I just, I, it really became where these politicians were <clears throat> a pro-criminal stance. And I actually write about that in several of my articles where I say, when did it become the norm for politicians to be pro-criminal? That's usually political suicide, but things are turned so upside down right now that politicians who are pro-criminal are bragging about it. Right. I thought we, we've lost our minds in this state. Like this, this article here, protecting yes. gang members instead of victims. Right. And so, uh, I talked earlier about some of the gang uh, legislation that passed yeah. to make it easier for us to prosecute uh, street gangs in 1988 and 2000. And so uh, we just had Assembly Bill 333. You're highlighting it right there. And this actually makes it significantly harder for us to actually to prosecute. And uh, it actually sailed through the Assembly and through the Senate. Uh, Governor Newsom, of course, signed it no problem. And uh, like I said, it significantly handcuffs our ability to prosecute um, criminal street gangs now. And it's and it um, because of that, most crimes now that are being committed by gang members are the sentences are going to be drastically reduced. And prosecutors, especially those who worked in hardcore gangs, and I worked in hardcore gangs for six and a half years, were dumbfounded that this law would even be considered. And um, you know, and it was actually authored. I say authored because I'm not sure she actually authored it. Some, you know, right. A lot of times they don't some, author the bills that they that they propose. It's right. Like, you know, there's some kind of advocacy group of criminals that authored it, and yeah. she introduced it. And so she actually was talking about, well, we I just want to be fair and make sure due process is followed. And I'm like, you know, if you actually cared and actually spoke to someone who's prosecuted these gang crimes, the law as it as it existed prior to this AB 333. Um, it was it was not easy to prosecute gang to gang crimes. I mean, I've I've done trials where, uh, you know, we had these gang enhancements and we had all this evidence and juries in the end either had a had a, um, difficulty making a decision or they voted not guilty. And that's fair. You know, that's the process. But prosecuting a gang member, even under these laws, wasn't easy. There was a lot of steps. There were a lot of things that we had to do. And we always have to be able to prove our cases beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, that's our standard. That's the highest standard in law. And so for her to come on there and act like, oh, we have to restrict all this evidence because it's too easy. I mean, I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And you get that a lot. I'm, I'm finding that a lot, too. A lot of our, uh, our our state politicians, you know, they live in their gated communities and their little bubble. And they, you know, they read some study that says, you know, uh, these laws are, are, are um, um, too ne they too negatively impact gang members. 
And I'm like, do you know who the uh, the, the vast majority of victims of gang crime are? Um, people who live in those neighborhoods. Mm. And yet, instead of fighting for those victims, they're fighting for the gang member who hurts them. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so, and unfortunately, wow. AB 33 passed. Um, Gavin Newsom signed it into law uh, because, you know, they don't care about crime victims. If you start saying like this negatively impacts crime victims, they don't care. They literally don't care. It's the only thing I've been able to come up with to to try to figure out why they would pass this legislation in the first place. They yeah. just don't care. I, I, I'm just I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Like in what world? In what universe, in what parallel dimension would this even make sense? It, it's yeah, just, it's, I, it's, it's mind boggling. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing, um, but it's actually tragic. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's really awful. And, you know, I, I tell people about, you know, if you knew half of the laws that were passed that negatively affected you, you would lose your mind. And so I always encourage them to go to my, um, Go, you know, go to my website or, or just look up those articles on the, at the Conejo Guardian because it's free. You can get online for free. Just type in the search bar, my my name, uh -huh. and everything comes up. I know it's it's a parallel universe or, or some other dimension. I, I can't explain it. I'm, I'm really dumbfounded by it all. And I'm not alone. There are a ton of prosecutors all over the state who have dedicated their lives to public safety that I have the way I have, who are dumbfounded by what's happened uh, over the last 10 years. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's stunning here. You, you mentioned your website. I just want to pull that up real quick so people can see. Uh, so it's, it's Barrick for DA. That's the number four DA.com. Right. Right. You know, I, I laugh because um, I actually never go to my website because I hate looking at pictures of myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a great thing uh, for you. you. Say so. It's just, he's it's, tough on crime. I love it. Tough on I crime. It. I know. Yeah. yeah. It says it all. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, this is a, this is a great website. It's a good resource uh, that people can, and where they can find these articles. Of course, uh, I always like to include articles um, in the, in the show notes section of it, of, of, of the episode. So that way people can, can click on them and link, link to them. Uh, but they are here at the website. If you click on in the news, um, um, you, you will come up with uh, some of the, uh, some of the articles here that we were just talking about. And uh, that's a great place. We'll also, of course, include like some of your social media stuff that I see up here at the top. We'll include direct links to that as well great. Um, in you. the show notes section. Now, I wanted to talk about one other article. Oops, sorry. One other article that that you um, and you just brought up something that that made me think about it. And it's uh, California leaders mislead mm. the public and reduce penalties for crimes with deceptively named propositions. Yeah. And, and that's and a they, big one. That's, that's, they do this a lot. I mean, they call and they, they actually do this at the federal level too. You know, they, they call it the, you know, the, the, the Patriot Act, but a lot of stuff they do is unpatriotic or they call it the Freedom Act, but a lot of things they do are anti-freedom. And so they're doing it here in California as well. Tell, tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, this is uh, this was particularly egregious, um, and I talk about two propositions that were passed by the public in 2014 and 2016, and they were what they were called had actually nothing to do with what they did. So in 2014, you see it there, uh, um, California. Uh, 
put on the ballot Proposition 47 called the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act. Mm. Uh, by the way, uh, would you like to know who wrote that proposition? Uh, uh, I, I, yes, please. George Gascon. Oh, uh, uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, we gonna, I want to talk about George after this. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So, the, yeah, the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act. And so, you know, the reality is I have found that uh, a lot of citizens trust their political leaders. Even if their political leaders don't have the same political views, they trust them to do what's right for them. And so they don't actually read these propositions. Um, they look at the title and they figure, well, it must have something to do with safe schools and neighborhoods. Otherwise, they would have called it something else. Mm. And in fact, it was the exact opposite. This is really when um, the harm started to take place. Uh, um, so it reduced a number of crimes to uh, misdemeanors. Uh, it reduced a lot of those penalties as well. And part of those crimes that were reduced to misdemeanors were the theft crimes. And so now people could commit as many thefts as they want and not be held accountable. Now, Prop 47, another thing it did is for like some of the petty theft crimes, it raised that minimum threshold from $400 to $950. And right. it, it made it enormously difficult, if not impossible, to get a felony. Because when someone does a petty theft, they go into Target or Rite Aid or, or wherever or the grocery store and they steal. It's very rare that they're stealing more than $950. Right. All right. But uh, Prop 47 isn't the only problem. The, the problem dates back to 2011 um, in conjunction with Prop 47, uh, which I can talk about in a minute. Um, but then in 2016, uh, the legislature passed, uh, prop, or, or the people passed uh, Proposition 57, which was called the uh, Safe Public Safety and Rehabilitation Act. Yeah, public, oh, the Safety. public Safety and Rehabilitation Act. Yeah. So people look at that and go, well, I'm for public safety. I do believe in rehabilitation. So they voted yes on this. And I talk about um, what this bill actually did. And it had nothing to do with public safety or rehabilitation. What it actually did was it reduced um, uh, a lot of the prison sentences for um, a lot of our inmates. The release violent prisoners significantly earlier act is what Yeah, that's what mean. I said. I go, because if they had called it, yeah, the release violent prisoners significantly early act, it probably wouldn't have passed, yeah. which is why they came up with this name. And so I talk about how after, after props 47 57 were passed by misleading the public, because the public believes in public safety, they want to be safe and they, and the political leaders at the time who did this and today, they know that. And so they manipulate them. Pat, give them these propositions that are, are complete lies about, you know, they're, you know, a complete snow job. And then um, and then they pass and they create this false narrative. So now this gives, uh, you know, a lot of the political leaders the, um, the weight they need to pass the criminal justice reform. And I always put reform in quotes. Uh, reform statutes that they really want, right? So with the passage of 47 and 57, the legislature now believes, although how they sold it was completely misrepresented, they believe the public wants these reforms. Yeah. So now we don't need propositions for anymore. Like a lot of the reforms since 2016, I would say all of them that have been passed have been done in the legislature. 
because they don't need to go to the people anymore because they're under the impression in that little bubble that they live in where they don't actually speak to people who suffer, yeah, um, suffer at the hand of these criminals. Um, they believe well, everyone wants criminals to be released from prison and they want penalties to be lighter and they, they don't want people to be held responsible for their crimes and everyone gets a program and let's give them a hug and a kiss. You know, I've got friends we talk, we talk about, we actually joke that, you know, some of the penalties now on these crimes are so light. Um, I, we're, we're expecting the day when it comes out that when someone's convicted of a crime, we have to give them a coupon to McDonald's, right? I mean, that's, we're like, where's the coupon law? I mean, we're, we keep waiting for it. That's how terrible. It's where we're headed, it seems. That is, that is where we're headed. Well, I actually, I'm going to disagree there because I think things are turning. I think things are turning. People are starting to wake up. I hope so. Because it's getting uh, bad. I mean, you've seen the 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 train robberies going on downtown LA, haven't you? Right. Yeah. And so and they're handing out flat screen TVs to people. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, my most recent article, which just came out two or three days ago, it actually talks about the smash and grab burglaries that have oh. been taking place. Yeah. And why there's been this sudden increase. And a lot of people say, well, it's because of Prop 47 because it raised that limit for petty thefts from $400 to $950. Sure. I'm like, no, no. It, it goes back a lot farther. And so it goes back to um, 2011, the, 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 the prison crisis. So the, the, um, the legislature created a, a penal code section called 1170H. And what that did was it meant there were a lot of felonies where you could no longer get prison. You got what was called felony jail. This was local jail. So let's say you take your theft crime because a lot of a lot of these 1170H crimes were uh, theft crimes. You commit a theft crime. Let's say the, the maximum prison sentence you could you could get was three years, but now you can't get that. So now a lot of these a lot of these inmates suddenly in 2011 were shipped off to local jail because they were felony jail cases. Well, a lot of the local jails in the various counties didn't have the manpower or resources to handle this sudden influx of inmates. In addition, they didn't have the ability to house individual inmates for three years or six years or nine years, whatever the term would be in prison. So what they had to do was start cutting loose all the misdemeanor people. Because huh. it used to be that if you committed a misdemeanor, you know, you're, you're depending on the crime and very other various other factors. You could get a few days in local jail or a few months, but now you weren't even getting that because they had to clear out all the misdemeanor people because the felony jail people came in. So then, when they reduced theft crimes to misdemeanors in conjunction with 1170H, they they couldn't oh. do they couldn't do any jail time. I mean, the the jail time they would do was a joke, a day or two. So I mean, let me ask you, you know, if you, you know, if you're going to commit um, a crime. Let's say you commit a, a petty theft and it's, you know, $30,000. You do a $30,000 theft crime. Um, you're not that's going considered, to... Wait, that's considered petty? It, yeah, I know. It, it's called petty theft. I think at that point it becomes grand theft, but... Um, okay, sorry. But it, you know, let's just say it's a felonious theft crime, $30,000. Yeah. You're not going to prison. And so 1170H did something else. It created what's called the split sentence. So... Let's take, for example, I commit a theft. I steal $30,000 worth, $30, worth of stuff. I get convicted. They give me the maximum penalty, which is three years. Under 1170H, in conjunction with Prop 47, I can, I'm not going to be sentenced to three years. Like, I'm not going to do three years of local custody time. 
1170H demands a split sentence. And so that means whatever your sentence is, the actual number, it has to be split in half, what we call supervision, like a probation. So let's say you're sentenced to three years, right? Well, that's going to be split. And so you're actually going to do 18 months of actual time, except now we have penal code section 4019, which applies to local jails, which says that for every day in custody that you do, you get a day of credit. So, which means if you do a grand theft and you get convicted and you get the maximum sentence, your maximum penalty now is going to be nine months in the local jail. Maximum. Um, and by the way, that never happens. Right. That's maximum, right? That's and maximum. And it never happens because the local jails are so inundated. They can't keep people even on a three-year split sentence. So, they're getting significantly lower sentence. Typically, let's say they get 16 months, which is even then is really difficult. You get 16 months, split in half, split in half. They do four months. Jeez. So I, so I talk about this. Yeah, I talk about this in my article. And I said, look, the, the problem is greater than Prop 47, you know, drop the theft limit down or anything. I go, the problem is the penalties aren't substantial enough. They're not, they're not a deterrence anymore. These guys can go out and steal anything they want. And the penalties they receive are so minor that they just get out and do it again. Boy, you know, it almost makes me want to become a criminal. It, it's, it's, I'm serious. Uh, I mean, and that's why you're seeing all these all these crimes, and that's why they're getting so brazen. Yeah. Let's take the smash and grab burglaries. Yes. Well, one of the things Prop 47 did is it changed commercial burglary. Uh, so commercial burglary is I go into a store with the intent to steal, and I steal stuff, and I leave. Um, so if you do a smash and grab burglary, you go in there, you break the glass, you steal thousands of dollars worth of items. It's a misdemeanor in California. <laughs> it's a misdemeanor. It doesn't matter. I mean, you you can't you can't make it a felony. Commercial burglary is now only a felony if you do it when the store is closed. Wow. Which is why they do it when the store is open. Wow. And that's Prop 47. So we are starting to see some legislatures, even Democrats, uh, who are trying to enact statutes that either eliminate Prop 47 or or change it a little bit. And I'm like it's not enough. It's not enough. Like if, if you really want to fix the problem, uh -huh. you, you've got it. You got to roll up your sleeves and really get in there and figure it out. Nobody wants to figure it out because a lot of these legislatures, le legislators now, they're not interested in actually being tough on crime. They just want to be perceived as tough on crime. So what they do is they, they pass the, they pass, you know, they, even if the law doesn't pass, they don't care. Because like, well, I, tried, I tried to get Prop 47 repealed. It didn't work. Oh, well, I'm I'm tough on crime, though. Yeah, uh, but you're not. You're not tough on crime because what you're proposing is completely ineffective. You know, it's ineffective and you don't care that it's ineffective. That is the exact opposite of tough on crime. Right. But, but a lot of our citizens don't know that. It, you know, and here it is that, you know, when when these laws are passed, it, it actually ties your hands as a prosecutor so that you can't apply or you can't prosecute for, uh, you know, or, 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 or ask for, you know, upon sentencing, you know, the judge to apply uh, what would what would seem to be uh, a reasonable uh, sentence in that and that you've got guys like George Gascon, who are not only uh, given free reign with with laws like this, with legislation like this, but they actually choose to not enforce 
the laws that are on the books. How can they get away with stuff like that? How is that even legal? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. Uh, I yeah. actually, when when my boss retired, uh, he retired uh, before his term was up. And so um, the law says when that happens, the, legis- uh, the, the board of supervisors who the governing body of the county gets to pick his, his replacement. Okay. And actually my opponent is ended up being uh, my boss's replacement, but they had an interview. It was January 26th. If anyone looks it up, they wants to look it up. They can go to my website. It's on there. Um, or they can go to the board of supervisors, January 26th. Um, it's towards the end of the day. And uh, someone asked me, one of the supervisors asked me that question about George Gascon. And they said, you know, would you, institute any of his policies in Ventura County if we selected you as DA. And my um, my counterparts in the interview process gave these long, drawn out, politically correct answers, you know, mm. um, you know, kind of soft. And I'm, I'm pretty direct and I'm pretty outspoken. And I, you know, I say what I mean and I mean what I say. And it, everything I do is is geared towards public safety. It's not geared towards promoting myself. And so I, I told him, I go, well, I'm pretty direct. So I'm, you know, let me just be clear. Um, I think George Gascon's policies are, are, are a disaster for public safety. And if I, as DA, instituted half of the programs he has, I'd be ashamed to call myself a prosecutor. Good answer. And that was, that was my answer. That was it. And I mean it. Um, I don't know how he can do it. Uh, by law, um, if somebody commits a crime with a gun, you're supposed to charge it. You're supposed to charge the enhancement. If someone has uh, previous strikes and they commit a new felony, by law, you're supposed to file those strikes and they're not doing it. Um, you know, of all the things that George Gascon has done, um, which are pretty terrible for crime victims, the the one thing that he's done that is just the most shameful for me is when someone is sent into prison for life, uh, they are entitled to a parole hearing in most cases. And family members of the victim um, are allowed to attend that and give statements to the parole board. Yes. We always have, counties always have prosecutors there to support the victims and to lend a voice and weight to their words to to try to keep this this violent criminal in prison. George Gascon stopped that. What? He does not, he does not send prosecutors to parole hearings anymore, which means when these victims and their families show up to these hearings, they are, they are on their own. I can't find a greater metaphor for how this man has completely left behind crime victims, has completely left them unsupported, which is the yeah. antithesis of what a district attorney is supposed to do. Unsupported, and, unprotected. Uh, yeah. Continue. Yeah, and, and there are stories of people who've been in prison for murder. The victims show up, the DA is not there, and these guys are getting paroled now because the parole board sees that and goes, well, if the DA doesn't care, then we don't care. Now they, they should be able to still do their job, even though the DA is not there, but it's harder. That's why we go to these things to, to lend, to lend weight with our presence and supporting our crime victims. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to support our crime victims. And this is the greatest example that I can see where he just doesn't. And it's so offensive to me for someone who's dedicated his life to public safety the way I have. It's so offensive. Um, uh, I, I don't even know what to say. Sure. And he's he's got a track record of this. I mean, he didn't he used to be uh, the chief of police? Was it in Oakland or, or San Francisco? 
One of the he two, was never the, he was never the chief of police. I know he was. Um, I think he was assistant chief in L.A. He LAPD. He retired, uh, got his law degree, uh, and he was the San Francisco district attorney for a while. I think right. for eight years, uh, which was ironic. He was the prosecutor, but he actually has never tried a criminal case. How, yeah. how, how, is, how is that even possible? Because uh, he's backed by the right people. Right, right. Which people yeah. with a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say it. I mean, he's he's backed by George Soros. George Soros Correct. is a billionaire, and he and he's as you know, he's been putting in progressive prosecutors all over the country. And um, yeah, again, I, I don't understand. Um, you know, people people want criminal justice reform. They feel we got too incarceration heavy. I get it. Um, I'm willing to listen. Um, sure. You know, and I agree in some in people some can respects. be reformed, right? Right. I agree in some respects, but what is happening is just mean. Like I, I talked about this recently with a with a colleague. I said, you know, what they're doing now, it's just mean. You know, there's there's no reason for these laws that they're enacting right. that so badly affect crime victims and their rights. It's not just it's pro criminal. criminal. It's like anti victim. It's it's like a almost like a hatred. Like yeah. to keep passing these things, you have to have a hatred at this point for crime victims, and I I don't understand it. Like. How can you hate a crime victim? How can you hate someone who's been molested or raped or who's been violently assaulted in some other way or even murdered? Like how how can you have such a disdain for these victims and their families that you keep passing these laws? Yeah. No, there it, were, there was a case I think under under Gascon in San Francisco a few years back where an illegal immigrant was let loose, let free, set free. He had committed some sort of heinous crime. I don't recall exactly what it was, but then he went on to murder a woman. And, and then he was given like another light sentence uh, or something after that. And I, I, I was just, and I, I remember a lot of people were stunned by this, uh, especially, you know, in the conservative community uh, where, you know, there's, um, you know, a lot of frowning upon the, the, the treatment of, uh, people who immigrate here illegally and commit crimes and and that you know i believe as many people do is like look if you, if you sneak into our country you break the law then you go ahead and 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 further break the law you should be shown the door and yet they're allowing these people to stay in our communities and, and harass our citizens and it's just it's it's abhorrent and 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 you bring up guys like george soros i don't understand what their motive is uh, it seems like they want to destroy the country. I mean, he just he just put in another DA in New York, and you know he's a Soros DA because he 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 made the same pronouncement that Gascon did when he got into office, which is we're not going to prosecute prostitution, we're not going to prosecute uh, resisting arrest, like all the same things. Like they have a list that he says here. Here's ten million dollars, and these are the things that you're going to do. And it's it's just it's weird. It, it's scary that that someone with money can have an impact on public safety to that degree. And there's yeah, nothing we can do about it. Yeah. I don't know what Mr. Soros's motivations are. You know, I'm, you know, I, I don't know if he wants to destroy the country. Uh, I'm sure he believes in his position uh, sure. and what he's Most doing. Most bad guys do. Most bad. It, it, well, you know, I learned this as an actor. The bad guy never thinks he's doing something bad. Right. But it, you know, his, his, what he's doing now and what his lackeys are doing, because that's what they are. I mean, if you, if you're a prosecutor because someone else puts you there, then you're just doing their bidding. It's like, what are you doing? But, you know, you're doing your bidding now in a profession that I take very seriously. And I, I find that offensive. Um, and, 
you know, to to take this this stance in public safety. And it's it's very clear now. Like people, I mean, the signs are clear that these these policies, these laws, these statutes are so awful, uh, and and are the direct uh, can be direct are the direct result or can be directly blamed for the the skyrocketing crime rate. Um, and they just keep doing them. They, they just like I said, you know, um, you know, I was actually uh, talking to a friend of mine the other day about this. You know, I I grew up poor. Right. Uh, I I didn't I didn't go to a prep school. I didn't I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. You know, I grew up poor in Oxnard. I'm actually from this county. I grew up here and I put myself through college and I put myself through law school. And, you know, I've, I've had to work every day of my life. I mean, and as someone, you know, anyone who's grown up in Oxnard knows that in this life, nobody's handing you anything. If you want to make it in this world, if you want to make a difference, you have to earn it. You have to work for it. And I just, I mentioned that because for a lot of these theft crimes, you know, the, the people who are passing this legislation, I really believe they don't understand what it means to lose something. You know, um, you know they live in their gated communities. They, they live in their nice houses. I'm sure they, they have their, their protected, you know, neighborhoods and, and everything. And so if someone steals something from them, yeah, they'll just get a replacement. Maybe it sucks for a, for a couple minutes, but you know, it's not a, it's not a terrible thing, but when you're poor and somebody takes something from you, it hurts. Mm. It really hurts. And I know what that feels like because you have something stolen that you can't replace because you right. don't have the money to replace it. And that is the disconnect that drives me crazy is that the people who are passing these laws and telling us that theft is only worth a misdemeanor have probably grown up rich or probably grown up well off. And when they lost something or something was stolen, it didn't really affect their lives. But most of the victims of theft are poor or lower middle class. They can't afford to have these things replaced. And so when they're taken from them, it hurts. And then to find out that the person who took it gets a slap on the wrist and is out you know, the next day, it's offensive. It's offensive to them. Yeah. And, and, you know, the legislators who are passing these laws think they're protecting um, people and it has the opposite effect. And they they think out of their bubble to see how it really affects the real world. Yeah, they're, they're, they're thinking they're, they're protecting disadvantaged people who have resorted to crime to support themselves when, in fact, those those people are taking advantage of disadvantaged people. Correct. And, yeah. you know, uh Yes. I mean, there are people who, you know, perhaps didn't have the same advantages as others. And, and so they choose a life of crime and everyone wants to feel sorry for them. But there are people, a vast majority of people who grew up in those same neighborhoods and have those same same experiences who have not resorted to a life of crime. Right. Um, who are good people who just want to provide for their families and make a difference in this world. And they get ignored. They're the ones who are being most affected by this legislation. And, you know, if they want to help, you know, if they want to pass laws and do things to help disadvantaged people, help them, help the victims of these crimes, help the people who grew up in these neighborhoods and didn't turn to a life of crime. Don't help the person who made a choice and chose to hurt people. And that's in the end what we talk about when we talk about favoring a criminal, you are favoring someone who hurt someone versus the person who got hurt. Right. It's pretty simple. That is something I will never do. You know, I, I talked um, a little bit about my my slogan is victims come first. 
And the reason is because um, very early on when I became a prosecutor, uh, I didn't want to be a prosecutor who was seeking advancement and um, who was only seeking advancement and promotion. Like we're prosecutors. We tend to be aggressive. We tend to be uh, competitive. We like to advance. And the best way to do that typically is our jury trial record. And so to that end, you know, I would see prosecutors in various counties um, who would make decisions on cases where victims were affected and they, and they would make these decisions because they were afraid they wouldn't be successful jury trial. Because if you want to get promoted, you got to jury trials. Right. And I didn't want to be that prosecutor. I wanted to really serve the public, take the cut tough case to trial, be open and honest and receptive and, uh, to my crime victims, let them know what was going on. You know, I, I don't want to fail, but I'm not afraid to fail. I'd rather try and fail than never try at all. And so to, to keep me focused on, on representing victims of crime, which is what I think, you know, it's certainly what I wanted to do to keep me focused. I came up with that rule that the victims come first. And for me, that meant that my, the case was always more important than my, my ego, my pride, my professional career. If I went to trial on hard cases and lost them, I wasn't going to get promoted, but that was okay. Because as long as I knew I was serving the public, yeah. serving the victims on these cases to the best of my ability, I could live with that. Now, I, I was fortunate. Uh, I did, you know, I, I won a lot of those cases and I ultimately got to homicides, which is uh, really um, uh, my favorite assignment that I've had in the office. So I'm very fortunate to have the job that I have and I and, and the position that I have. Um, but, uh, you know, I always tell the, the various groups I've spoken to a ton of people now. You know, I always tell them that story about my catchphrase victims come first because I really want people to understand it isn't just a slogan with me. Right. I'm not just it wasn't just a catchphrase. I came up to get some a few votes so I could get elected. Yeah, you, you walk the talk. I Yeah, exactly. It's 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 in my DNA. It's in my bones. I have never, ever, ever violated that rule in my 17 plus years as a prosecutor. And I never will. If as district attorney, I ever make a decision that favors myself over the public, over the victims in my cases and the victims that my office represents, that's the day I quit my job. That's how serious I take this rule. That's 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 fantastic. I, I, you know, it, you're you're an honorable man. You're an honest and and, and you have integrity. I and, try. And <laughs> and no, and you, you're a good example for the community and for a lot of people out there. And and I just I just wish there were more people like you that are willing to speak up and take action and and stand by their principles and and serve the community in that way. And I hope that 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 this is just the beginning of of a career where you exemplify that in in public and and um and and help shift uh, us back towards a more equitable like really equitable uh society in terms of uh prosecution of, of crime and and the uh, assistance of victims in that regard yeah thank um, you know thank you for that nick you know i i do want to say that i do believe that there are a lot of prosecutors who feel the same way they're just a lot of them just aren't supported, um, you know, by their offices or or whatever. They're just not supported enough to really go forward the way the way they want to. And you mm-hmm. know, one of the things I want to do as district attorney is to provide that support to our DAs to let them know, look, 
I don't care about the win or loss. If you've got a case that you really believe in that you believe should be prosecuted because you want to protect those victims, go for it. You know, if you lose, you lose, but don't be afraid to try. And speaking of support, I wanted to ask you, is there a way for people to support your campaign, even if they don't live in Ventura County, if they just like what you do, they like the cut of your jib, if they, you know, they want to get behind a good guy, uh, can people make a contribution to you? Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, when you're running for office, I always tell uh, people, you can have the greatest message in the world, but if you don't have the funds to get it out there, nobody's going to hear it. And so I do have the ability to uh, for people to donate on my page, and I welcome them uh, to do that. Uh, the maximum donation I can take per person is seven hundred fifty dollars. Um, you know, the more donations, the better, and the the louder my voice will be, and the more people will hear it. So yeah. any donation, even if you're not from Ventura County, yeah. um, would be most appreciated. And also, you know, go to my website, uh, Nick. I think you said it earlier, www.barrick. 4da.com. That's the number four. And check me out. Um, you know, I always tell people too. you know, you go to my website, you're going to see a lot of things that talk about how great I am. And I always tell people, you know, challenge me. Don't take my word for it. Find a police officer who works in Ventura County anywhere. It doesn't matter what agency. And either they've I've worked with them or they know my reputation. And I challenge anyone to find. Uh, find a police officer who either will tell you that what I'm saying is untrue or that I don't believe what I'm saying. And what I mean by that is you will not find a police officer in this county who will not support what I've said or what I stand for. You know, uh, like I said, I, I didn't plant, start my career wanting to be the district attorney, um, but I felt like a call to service after I saw some of the things that were going on. And, um, you know, that's, that's why I'm doing this is because we need leaders who are going to support their, their deputy DAs to do the job that they want to do, who are going to support law enforcement because they're the ones who work in the trenches um, protecting us all and they need our support. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just want to support public safety overall and just, um, you know, get the word out when some of these crazy laws are being considered by sure. a legislature. You know, People respond to pressure and there's no pressure being put on the legislature because nobody knows about these laws. And I really feel that if voters, if if concerned citizens started to really alert their elected leaders about how they felt about these laws, mm -hmm. I don't think they pass. I really believe that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We need to put more pressure on uh, our elected officials and let them know that it's not OK to do this kind of stuff. And um well, this is this has been great. You know, before before we let you go, because we're kind of winding down here, um, I have to ask you on behalf of our viewers and listeners who are who have, who have really been following. This is a little bit different question. It's not really related to uh, uh, Ventura County per se. Well, it, it kind of is, but I'm talking about. Um, I brought up earlier in the podcast how how they're they're filing a criminal complaint at the International Criminal Court for crimes against humanity for you know, mass murder and genocide. And and a lot of blame is being uh, spread around uh, to different people. But if it turns out that there has been a crime committed in Ventura County, let's say, for example, it turns out that 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 Anthony Fauci, uh, you know, did um, uh, create the virus in the Wuhan lab and then he did cover it up and that there was malice aforethought. 
Um, and, and let's say a citizen grand jury uh, put together this evidence and presented it to you. Is this something that is, is within your purview, within your jurisdiction to prosecute? No, I, I try to stay in my lane, Nick. Uh, okay. I'm only concerned with what happens in Ventura County and the citizens of Ventura County. Um, Makes sense. As, as a county prosecutor, I have to be focused on the issues that affect my county. Sure, sure. I, I had to ask, though. <laughs> it's all right. No, I... Ask me anything. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I try to be as open and, and honest as I possibly can. So, and I'm pretty direct. Yes, and 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 certainly we need, like I said, we need more of that. And um, boy, if if there's anything else that that I can do or we can do to to help you out, please um, don't hesitate to ask, and and I'll be happy to um, continue to help promote you. Uh, now, when is the election? When is this taking place? So the election is June 7th. Now, that's normally the primary election. But mm. when there are only two people running for a particular office, as there are in this case, well, that becomes the election. And so the winner is going to be whoever gets 50 percent plus one. So oh, our okay. election is June 7th. I would encourage people to get out and vote. Um, I Please. Uh, and people can volunteer for you as well to kind of knock oh, on sure. the door. They, and- can, they can volunteer, um, you know, and spread the word. Uh, if, if you want me to come speak to your group, even if you're a group that is listening to this broadcast and hates everything I said, I will speak to you. Uh, I would love to come speak to you. You may not like my answers, but they will be what I believe. And, you know, I, I want I want people to know, I know there's going to be a lot of people who aren't happy with my platform, right? They're not, they're not happy with the fact that I'm pro-law enforcement, that I'm so pro-victim. And that's fair. And that's fine. Um, but, you know, I do want those people to know that when I when I become district attorney, I'm going to represent everyone. And it's not just going to be the people who voted for me or the people who share my beliefs. I represent everyone. And, you know, I I don't know have all the answers and I don't pretend to. And I've always been someone who's been more concerned with uh, getting it right instead of being right. And so I'm I'm open up to anything. If people have an idea of how to better serve the community or come up with better programs or reforms, um, for some of these criminal cases, I'm all, you know, I'm all ears. I will listen. But I have two rules. I have two caveats. Number one, anything that we decide cannot further eviscerate victims' rights, and they already are. Number two, any reform cannot put law enforcement lives in greater danger than they already are. As long as those two caveats are satisfied, I will listen, consider everything. That's, that seems completely reasonable. I, I, w- I wouldn't imagine anybody uh, would have an issue with that. And um, I, 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 you know what, John, I am, I'm really excited that, that someone like you is, is running for this position. And like I said before, we need more people like you out there. And so, uh, this is, I, like I said, I hope the beginning of a, a great tenure as district attorney for the County of Ventura. And, and we thank you for your service thus far, uh, for all you've done for the community and to helping uh, helping the victims and helping to make our community safer. So um, thank you for that. And and thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it was my uh, pleasure, Nick. Uh, thank you. I do want to say, um, if you're familiar with uh, A&E, they have a, a show called Cold Case Files. Yeah. And they actually are going to feature one of the cases I prosecuted. It was a cold case double murder that I did in 1980 in different counties. And both women were Jane Doe's. And I prosecuted that. And so that is going to be coming out um, sometime in the next few months. So I would just invite people to watch out for that. Uh, they did um, interview me 
okay. my part in that uh, successful prosecution. Fantastic. That's that's wow. Those are really hard to solve too. Yes, uh, I I was lucky. I had an investigator on the case. His name is Steve Rhodes, and I say his name. He hates accolades and he hates being recognized. And I don't know if he's watching this uh, this podcast, but um, uh, he was the hero of this case. Um, it but for his dogged determination, these cases never would have been solved, and uh, they never would have been successfully prosecuted for sure. So I just play a small part in ultimately getting the subject convicted, but Steve Rhodes was the driving force behind it. And so I, I wanted to mention it, mention his name. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to refer him to this podcast and he's going to get mad at me that I mentioned his <laughs> name, but that's okay. He deserves it for all the work that only did on this case, but throughout his career. And, and, and modest as well on top of it. You are, are just, you're, you're the total package, John. Well, I mean, I, I try to, I try to tell it like it is. And if someone does a great job and, and I'm successful because of the work they did. I have no problems uh, pointing that out. Well, great. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, John. And uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. And, and um, best of luck to you coming this June. Yes. Thank you, Nick. It was great being on. It was a real pleasure. All right. Take care. Thank you. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, that is a, a real leader right there. That's a real community leader and someone that we enjoy having on the Free America podcast because it's people like John Barrick that make this country great. It's people like that that have built this country and are going to continue to hold this country together as it's seemingly falling apart around us. Um, you know, it seems like the bad guys are winning. It seems like the bad guys are in all the positions of power, pulling all the levers. Um, but we've got good guys in the fight. And so if you want to help a good guy in the fight, go to that website, go to barrack for DA that's B A R R I C K the number four DA.com and make a contribution, volunteer, get the word out, just spread the word about this guy and help him out, help get the good guys in the positions of power. Cause that's how we win. That's how you fight back against tyranny, against evil, against all this bad stuff that's going on in our world today. So stand behind good men like John Barrick. And together we can take back America and make America free again, right? That's what it's all about. So for now, folks, that is the show. Uh, we'll see you again next week when we'll have another fantastic show lined up for you. And remember, folks, this is not a spectator sport. you got to get involved. you got to get off the bench and on the field. Do something. Do anything. Send an email, make a phone call, get out there to a rally, share this podcast, go to John Barrick's website, do something, get involved. Good night. And...